0: My guest today is Raja Saada. Raj has been a good friend of mine for about 10 years. He's an attorney in Somerville, New Jersey. He was born and raised in Linden, New Jersey, and he happens to be a Palestinian American and a Muslim American. He's first generation, and he talks about his experience being a first generation Palestinian and Muslim American living in New Jersey. He shares details of his upbringing and his religious practices. I found this to be a very enlightening conversation, and you may be surprised to learn that we have much more in common than you might think. Raja explains the primary teachings of the Quran, what it's like to go to mosque, and what his daily religious practices are. So keep listening. All right, I am Christina Previtt for Wake Up Call, and I am here with Raja Sa'ada. Did I say that right?
1: (laughs) said it very well thank you
0: well I I appreciate that because I've known you for ten years I can't believe it's been that long and sadly and kind of embarrassing for me is I've been saying your name wrong pretty much for ten years but you're, you're we're, great. <laughs> we're on track now so Raj is an attorney in Somerville New Jersey practicing, divorce, family law, landlord, tenant, real estate. Did I miss anything?
1: No, nope, that's, that's the bread and butter.
0: And what I really want Raj to talk about today is to share his experience as a Muslim American. So probably our conversation we just had, we should have just recorded that, but I was telling Raj that I just feel like for my own education, I generally don't really know what it's like to be muslim like what your practices are what your beliefs are and and we'll just go on the record as saying you're going to talk about your experience this is your personal experience and isn't necessarily representative of any other person's experience right so i want to start with a little bit about where you grew up you're palestinian right? Yes. But were you born in Palestine or were you born here?
1: I was born here in New Jersey.
0: But your parents were born in Palestine?
1: Yeah, my parents came here uh, together in late 1984, and I was born uh, shortly thereafter.
0: And you've got siblings, right?
1: I am the oldest of five, so there's a bunch of us running around.
0: (laughs) Are you all boys?
1: uh three boys and two girls boy girl boy girl boy we we alternate it's
0: oh wow wow they should have just had another one and made it even
1: yeah i'll uh it's probably not too late i mean if my dad would probably not like it i don't think my mom would either but i'll so let it's... you when you meet them i'll let you talk them into it
0: i was going to say that your mom might say it's it's too late we're done <laughs> kitchen's closed <laughs> so i i'm just asking like a really broad general question um you know, in your neighborhood where you grew up, were, were, was, were there other Muslim Americans there or were you yeah. kind of the outlier?
1: So in I, I grew up in Linden, New Jersey. And, um, in Linden, I grew up on the more urban side of Linden. There were a handful of Muslims, um, not only, uh, Palestinians and other people from that side of the world, uh, but there are, uh, people who converted to Islam, particularly African-Americans, or their children were born Muslim as well. So we we were not um, alone. I mean, there wasn't a significant population of us necessarily, but we were not, um, I, I was not an outlier.
0: Okay, so you didn't feel like you were alone in that respect?
1: Not at all. And even for, I grew up in a neighborhood with a lot of, it was very diverse and there was a lot of African-Americans a lot of African-Americans uh, at least in, in my neighborhood and the people I grew up with, even though they might not have been Muslim, they were very familiar with, um, with Islam and with the tenants, just given, with, uh, given the history of uh, Islam with the civil rights movement. Uh, they, they had some background of it.
0: Were there other people from Palestine in your neighborhood?
1: I wouldn't say my neighborhood. Um, we, we lived in a two-family house, and initially my uncle and his uh, his family, for a good couple of years, we lived together. One family was in one unit. We were in the other. And then when my uncle moved out, still within the area, there were cousins like within our city, within Linden. Not necessarily the same neighborhood. I couldn't just go ride my bike uh, to their house, but um, we were not far at
0: all. So did you, when you were growing up, did you ever feel like you were different, either because you were Palestinian or because you were Muslim?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, there was, initially, I, I didn't understand it. When you're, when you're like a really young kid, when, when the teacher, when your preschool teacher asks you, uh, like, what did you have for breakfast? And you're saying words that have an English translation, but you don't know the English words because to you, it's all just, that's the only word for it. Like, for example, plain yogurt. I mean, we, we use plain yogurt as like, a, as like a tapas kind of dish. And we can make sandwiches with it. My mother would make sandwiches for us using plain yogurt. And I would call it Lebena, Lebena sandwiches. And I would tell the teacher this as if she's supposed to know what this is. And she wouldn't ask any further questions as to what that is. And I, I wouldn't even know that it was a different language. I mean, that's where it kind of started. From there, after, uh, when you get a little bit older as a kid, you kind of learn religious practices, you learn you can't eat pork, you learn you can't, uh, during like Ramadan, like it is now, there's a certain couple of weeks where at school lunch, you can go, but you can't eat. Uh, These kind of things kind of set you apart a little bit, but um, everyone in a diverse neighborhood and a diverse city has their own differences, they have their own cultural ways, and you know it was a lot it was a it was a very welcoming place i I, I truly enjoy it and I, I I still feel a lot of pride for my hometown. Well,
0: that's nice. I'm glad to hear that because I know sometimes, especially as a kid, it can be hard to be different from other people. you know I think when you get older and you become a grown- up, you appreciate being different, but not when you're a kid.
1: I just consider myself i mean there are some Muslims out there who grew up. In a much more uh, conservative place, in a much less diverse place, in a must in a in a place where they would literally be the only Muslim for miles or the only Arab for miles. I, I in up Union County, New Jersey, I am I am not alone. And you know we, we don't consider our, we don't like um, bubble ourselves out from everyone else. We 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 kind of blend in with the rest of with the rest of the community. So everyone knows who we are, and we're kind of a part of them, just like they're a part of us.
0: And was your first language Arabic?
1: So my first language, it was interesting. So a lot of uh, immigrants, a lot of, they learn their native tongue, and that's what their parents kind of teach them. My parents kind of taught me, tried to teach me both, kind of just to the disadvantage of both. I'm still to this day not fluent in Arabic. I, I'm proficient in Arabic, but I'm not fluent in it. And early on, I had trouble just differentiating between Arabic and English. To me, it was just one conglomerated language. Um, so my experience, again, was very different.
0: What language do you think in?
1: I think in English.
0: (laughs) So you're using English much more than Arabic.
1: Yeah, the only time I use Arabic um, is uh, with my kids as much as possible, uh, with my parents, and who speak English, by the way, but we try to just speak Arabic just for everyone's sake, Um, and just when religion comes into play, because our book, the Qur'an, is in Arabic, uh, so that's, that's what we try to keep as well.
0: And let me ask you this, and I, I told you that I might ask you what seem like really dumb questions, but we're friends. I'm going to ask them. <laughs> <laughs> so is it appropriate to refer to, I know you re, we refer to your language as Arabic, but is it okay to refer to a person as Arabic or would you so- refer to them as Arab? You know, what's the appropriate terminology?
1: So you, you can't call someone Arabic, um, you, you can call someone an Arab, you can call someone Arabian, they aren't necessarily the same. Um, the definitions of, of Arab, Arabian, all of these things are, are uh, very subjective, believe it or not, but Arabic is, is not one of those terms, that's, that's for the languages, for example.
0: Okay, because I've thanks for clearing that up because I've heard people refer to a person as Arabic and I would always think to myself but isn't that a language? I don't think you've referred to a person as Arabic. So thank you for, for clearing that up and if if anybody's been saying that, knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't even know really where to start. I mean, I'm I don't expect you to to teach us, you know, the entire history of your religion. I don't think we have enough time for that, but I I am interested in your practices because we were talking earlier and I said, you know, I'm Catholic. If I go to some other Christian church, you know, I kind of know what to expect when I go. Everything might not be identical, but I kind of know how it's going to go. But if I went to your church, which we ascertained is mosque, I really would have absolutely no real expectation what to expect. So can you kind of run me through that
1: sure sure and, and i appreciate the question it's not it's not dumb at all and um it's again there are 1.8 billion of us on this planet i mean one out of every five people on this planet are muslim and we're not necessarily a homogenous group they are on all continents except for antarctica there there's a lot of a large population in this country when you think of muslim in this country a lot of people think of someone who may look like me but more muslims In this country, are actually African American than any other nationality or ethnic group. Um, So, with that kind of caveat in mind, the religion of Islam um, was founded, was really finalized in Arabia in the 600s. And the general message of Islam is really a completion of the Abrahamic religions that came before it: Christianity, Judaism, and that is number one to believe in one God, the oneness of God, and the almightiness of God. And number two, it is to do good deeds, to do good things. Some of those good deeds are perhaps intuitive, and some of them are uh, perhaps not necessarily as intuitive, but those are that's the general gist of the religion. Now, um, unlike the Bible, uh, a lot of people are familiar with the Bible, and if you really look at the definition of the word Bible, what does it mean? It means collection of books. That's why There's different names for different sections of the Bible. And there's actually different versions of Bibles that have different chapters sort of within it. The book, the Quran, is not like that. It is not a book, a collection of stories or a collection of versions of stories or anything of that nature. It is a book where God himself, and I say himself, just he's not masculine or feminine, but we're just using himself. is speaking to you or to us or to the people in the, from the first, oftentimes from the first person's perspective. Um, So where did that book come from? Muslims, most Muslims believe that the prophet, our prophet, the prophet Muhammad, he received revelations through the angel Gabriel of God's word. So God actually spoke to Muhammad and Muhammad repeated those words from essentially from God and those words were collected and written down and compiled into the book that is known as the Quran which literally means the recitation the 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 out loud reading so to speak
0: i'm sorry it's It's one one continuous book
1: it is one continuous book the first chapter to the last it's organized in it's not organized in chronological order as to when verses or chapters came down the first chapter is called the Fatiha, which means the opening. And then from there, it's organized pretty much based on reverse uh, size, length order. So the largest chapter in the Quran is the second chapter, and the shortest chapter is the last chapter. That's, that's how it's organized. And it's not a book of rules. It's not a book that tells us a lot of what exactly to do. A lot of it talks about certain parts of it talk about instructions for a particular situation that came down to the prophet at a particular time. There are some rules. There are some actual legal tenets. You could appreciate that as a lawyer, especially when it comes to um, to the rules about what happens to people's assets when they pass away. There are pretty specific rules in there with respect to that. But otherwise, there are very few rules. Um, in Muslims, their what we have to do. Are we have to, number one, believe in the oneness of God and that the Prophet is his last and final messenger. And some Muslims, by the way, don't necessarily agree with that last part. So um, I'll leave that alone. Um, if there are some people who opine that those people who don't believe that the Prophet Muhammad was the last messenger cannot be real Muslims. I, I am not qualified to or comfortable making that statement, but that just speaks, I think, to the diversity of the group. We have to pray five times a day. We have to fast during the holy month of Ramadan, which is now, we have to uh, if we are able financially and physically do a pilgrimage to Mecca during a specific time of the year, and we have to uh, give charity, it's called zakat, a certain amount for a certain for certain qualified causes. Aside from that, it's pretty open-ended. Um, there are some other minor rules, but we live very similarly to the way um, everyone else lives in in the United States I mean we may not eat bacon in the morning you know we um, you're you know, missing we out make, Raj <laughs> I've, I've heard I've heard you know but aside from other minor differences we are not we are we will get along and we we will relate uh,
0: so if it's, not a, if it's not a book of rules what is it talking about is it sharing someone's experience is it telling you how to live are they cautionary tales what what is it
1: some of it it goes back and talks about um, what happened with other prophets that um, uh, jews and christians may be familiar with like with jesus there's a lot about talking about jesus there's actually a whole chapter named after uh, mary jesus's mother Um, it talks there are warnings there are it's a very frightening Warnings if for people who are who do not believe there are warnings as to what will happen in the hereafter. Um, there are um, instructions as to uh, for certain periods of time for certain situations as to what to do. Because sometimes the prophet may not have known what to do with respect to dealing with a particular issue, and that revelation clarified it. It's it's a very uh, thorough and in depth in-depth book and some of it clarifies maybe what may have been confused uh what may be a little differentiate our religion from the judeo-christian religions before us but um it's a very diverse book in that respect
0: so i know that my bible starts out with you know how the world came to be god created all of us adam and eve that whole bit you've heard it is there anything like that in the Quran?
1: I'm not so we believe also in Adam and Eve and see the beautiful thing about this is uh, it's scientific fact that all human beings it doesn't matter what you look like it doesn't matter your height it is a scientific fact that we all originate from one person so we do believe in in Adam we do believe that uh, his his uh, wife was taken essentially from a rib was created from a rib uh, we do believe uh, in that he was kind of set down because of the mistake uh, they made. Uh, I, I'm not so because the Quran is not a book of stories. A lot of times, what may what our belief system in terms of other prophets, what they may have done, other messengers, it may not be all, solely from the Quran. That is the book that we believe God actually spoke. That's God's literal word. But there are other sources that we use that we can gather information from and that are considered valid religious sources even though they're not necessarily in the quran so to answer your question i'm not sure where it came from
0: what are you taught about jesus
1: so so jesus um is a very important figure in uh, in islam he um, he, our belief system about him is is meaningfully different than the, the most christian views of him but in in large part, he was of miracle birth. He was, we cannot, it is against our religion to claim that he was the son of God, the literal offspring of of God. Uh, But he was of miraculous conception. His mother was a virgin. We believe that, that is dogma, that is our religious belief. He did miracles. I mean, he spoke from the womb. He did, uh, he had other, uh, powers, and he was betrayed. And his primary message was to do good, and that he was sent to instruct the people of Palestine. I mean, he's uh, from Nazareth, and and he's, he was born in Bethlehem. Both of those are Palestinian cities. He was sent to those that area, to those people, to the Jewish and the Hebrews, the Hebrew people at the time, to give them instructions on what to do and what not to do to live as good people. I mean, they were already monotheistic. He didn't need to uh, give them that instruction, but he needed to give them instruction on how to live. We don't believe... Uh, we do We do call him the Messiah. So a lot of Muslims believe that he is going to return and he will uh, restore order at the time when perhaps a lot of uh, anarchy is going to happen, but um, we do believe and, and really value and, and relish uh, Jesus. He's actually the most quoted prophet in the quran
0: really and i have to say it is not lost on me that you sent me a gift a long time ago you sent me a quran that i was supposed to read and i'm a very bad catholic so apparently that's (laughs) translated over into any (laughs) any islamic influences (laughs) i'm gonna read it one day raj i swear whenever you're ready but i i will i'm gonna read it raj
1: it's a right. good read. Not start <laughs> to finish. I mean, you may have to skim around and kind of see what you're looking for, but um, yeah, it's good.
0: How many pages is it? How thick is it?
1: Uh, I would say it depends. I mean, there are some Qur'ans that are like this big, this wide, but a lot of the edging on the pages, a lot of the, the margins have like Islamic designs and art, art in it. So even though the pages – you ever read Supreme Court Decisions? You ever notice like the page is like this big, but the actual text is like this.
0: Yes, yes.
1: So it's hard to kind of measure, but the Quran is, it's not a a thin book.
0: Interesting analogy. (laughs) So, I mean, does it basically just say, you know, live a good, honest life?
1: Yeah, that's the primary is the belief system is to, our belief is that God has kind of sent us here to praise him that is our purpose A human beings purpose is to praise him and it's not just in believing in him it's not just in thanking him and, and being gracious to him for for all that we can be thankful for but it's also in ways that are indirect like being good to our fellow our fellow person like you know being mindful of and beautiful to our parents like making sure uh, that if we can give uh, uh, and take care of those who are perhaps less fortunate to do that being polite being mannered all of those things are are principles that are not only outside of Islam, but they're Islamic uh, fundamental principles as well.
0: So I I don't I didn't really predict I would go into this direction, but you know, a lot of ignorant people associate Islam with terrorists, and you know, what would you want to share with us for our education about? you know, people who are terrorists, because there are terrorists, some of them are practice Islam, some of them don't. But for the ones that do, you know, how do we reconcile those people?
1: Right, right. You and, know, where um, are they
0: getting this authority from, from your yeah, knowledge? So the,
1: yeah, so um, I'll, I'll say that there are, if if Islam, Islam is still, based on most statistics, the fastest growing. Religion, even in this country um, and it you know by the time 2050 comes it's going to be the second most populous the second highest population of, of religious people in this country are going to ascribe to Islam so um, just it, it just also just be mindful of who's speaking and their potential agenda you know I appreciate you bringing me onto your show and and showing from a Muslim's perspective as to what we are about from a general standpoint, and I say general, because there are bad apples. There are bad apples from every group, and Islam is not different. Muslims are not different. There are some uh, Muslims who have been radicalized, um, and that uh, is not a sole Islamic issue. I mean there are non-Muslims who are radicalized as well, but they are radicalized in their belief system and in what they think they is right, what they think is right. And then combined with not only external forces, external outside agenda, to try to, to try to further a particular uh, event or per, for, uh, further a particular, um, a particular viewpoint from the masses, but also from a position of um, despair. I mean, there are some people who really go through terrible things, and some of them just fall into a depression and just become hopeless and you know perhaps cry into their their hands and there are some people who will become angry and will become very vindictive and when you combine all of those forces it creates a very perfect storm for violence and that not only happens to non-muslims but it also happens uh, to muslims now that group of people they are the minority they are the a, a very small minority they are a very present minority uh, because there are they. They get a lot of the attention, and because um, there are some uh, political, there are some countries who are who are our allies, and I use that term lightly, but our United States allies who also ascribe to those viewpoints, who th- they they're kind of they believe in that, and they are okay with that from a principled standpoint. But that is not the majority. It, it's it's a it's a really, and if if you talk to uh, Muslims in this country, not just me, but in this country and go to other Muslim countries, you will see that those those people are not what you see necessarily on TV. And talk to and even if you you have to just talk to me. I mean talk to former a lot of former soldiers who have spent time in Iraq, who spent time in Afghanistan. I mean these are two war torn places where radicalization it's a perfect place for radicalization. Talk to them and see if they were on the ground talking to other Muslims on the ground, regular human beings and see what their perception of, of Muslims as a whole is like. And perhaps you'll get a different perspective than you know, the talking heads that we see on the news who uh, wanna uh, you know, demonize us for their own uh, ulterior motives.
0: Yeah, thank you for, for sh- talking about that. So I remember when 9-11 happened, and actually before nine eleven, I really don't remember, maybe I just wasn't cognizant of it, but I don't remember a lot of talk about um, terrorists and, you know, associating people who are from the Middle East with terrorism. I don't remember he- a lot of that. I really don't remember hearing that at all. But then when nine eleven 11 happened, all of a sudden, I think we started a hearing that just in, in America. And- I wanted to ask you, when 9-11 happened, do you feel like people treated you differently then? Did you feel that?
1: Uh, Absolutely. So um, when 9-11 happened, I was in U.S. history class, junior year of high school. And our whole class, we were just listening to the radio. I mean, it was that morning uh, we were in U.S. history. And everyone was pretty silent at the time. Um, but they they realize in my group, thankfully, they realize that it's they, it's not necessarily um, a majority kind of thing. And a lot of a lot of minorities have been persecuted and, and treated in a certain way. And they kind of they kind of understood that they didn't want to blame me or all of us for what may have happened uh, that morning. Um, that said, I mean, my high school principal was a a veteran. Um, there are uh, parents of some of my classmates who were firefighters and they were very uh, not as friendly uh, to me and my family. Um, now we, we were prepared uh, for this. I mean, this was not foreign to us. I mean, just get, being Palestinian and trying to travel overseas, you go through a little bit of things that kind of prepares you for mistreatment when things like 9-11 happen as a, as a whole. Uh, but we, uh, we were prepared for it and, and we, um, we definitely experienced it, not as badly as others, so I consider I, I'm very fortunate. Um, but we, we definitely changed, I, even me. I mean, my mother, if you ever meet my mother, she um, she's actually in the back if you really want to meet her. But, oh,
0: I'd love to meet your mom. <laughs> <laughs> she's
1: taking care of the kids. But the, uh, she she started wearing the scarf, the hijab, the, the the starting after 9-11 because it was kind of a, I am Muslim and I am proud. That's what kind of inspired her to do this, how a lot of people were, were very uh, very unhappy with us and very uh, – they tried to mistreat us and, as a whole and speak wrong of us, and she wore it as like uh, her own polite middle finger uh, to the rest of the world, uh, to, the, to our community at least, that you know I we're like here. Her.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I like her already.
1: So it's, it's funny how that works out it's 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 interesting how it creates religiosity as opposed to you know suppresses it.
0: do you feel that's lightened up a bit or not really since nine eleven
1: I do not I think um I think I, I don't so the the one of the reasons I'm wearing this beard and I'll, I'll be shaving it in next May, but one of the reasons I'm wearing it is to kind of get people who may not see us who may not. Interact with us in in our world, in the legal world, in the New Jersey legal world, to kind of see that you know people like like us are out there. Um, so they may talk about us and and just, uh, from thinking we'll never hear it, or just think of us on the periphery, and we are kind of an afterthought. But in reality, these the same very similar policies exist. I mean, there are um, even last week there was a decision from a higher court, published appellate court decision, that reversed a judge who permitted a lawyer to ask questions of a Muslim witness. This is in Union County. I mean, this is not like in a, a much more rural County that we met in like Hunterdon or Warren County or anything like that. The judge permitted a lawyer to ask a, a witness of her re- Muslim religion and of her beliefs to try to make her look bad, to try to make her seem like she and all of the Muslims cannot be trusted, cannot be believed. So the jury wouldn't believe her in the higher court told her, told the judge, that was wrong, the questions are wrong, go back and do the trial again and correctly. And there are politicians, there are leaders of, there are chair people of political parties who have said negative things publicly about Muslims. There are uh, law enforcement officers who wear beards because of their religion, who are harassed. There are college students, I mean, when I was in college at Rutgers, there was a whole NYPD spying uh Surveillance system in the building I used to live in, I lived in at the time, and they were spying on Muslims. So none of this is going away. It's it's a very, it's just it's showing in different ways, and it's time for it. It's long past due for it to stop, but it, it's going to take something, and it's in the works. But it's going to take something really public to uh, a really public change of opinion on it uh, to to really get it to stop and.
0: Where Absolutely. do you think that really comes from, though? I mean, is it just profound ignorance?
1: I think it, there's an agenda in mind. So you always look at if you look at whatever happens, you always look you always look at who benefits from it. I mean, when the police investigate a murder, one of the first thing they look at is if someone had life insurance on them and who was going to be receive the money. You always look at who benefits from this, and there are a lot of conspiracy theories out there based on that. Um, you know, I don't want to say I ascribe to any of those conspiracy theories, but they're not they're, there are There are very meaningful tinges of truth to those principles, and if you really delve into it they 'll come to light very very uh, it 'll be very apparent
0: i 'm sure it 's more complex than we can really dig into here yeah. so when you were growing up, your parents had just come from well not just but your parents had come from Palestine. And I've been reading a lot of books lately, fiction books, but I think um, by Palestinian authors. So I think there's a, a, a realistic flavor to it, talking about the struggle that you know first generation kids feel when they come from an immigrant family, whatever you know, wherever their ethnicity is from. And it's difficult a lot of times for the kids to fully assimilate. Because they're American when they go to school, but then when they're at home, there's these old, you know, deep-rooted practices and cultures from wherever their parents are from. Did you experience that?
1: I was very fortunate. I I can tell. I, I've I've heard it. I, I'm sorry. I can't. There's nothing really uh, uh, profound for me to tell you. But I was. I worked. It worked very well for my family. I mean, my mother, and my father they uh we certainly lived an immigrant lifestyle we certainly had uh, the best of both worlds so to speak um uh, but we we didn't feel like there was any kind of clash it really blended really easily i mean it's not that hard to not eat bacon it's not that hard to pray it's not that hard to fast during the month it's it all works very well i mean i i did well in school i had lots of friends i um i was people knew who i was i knew who they were um it's it it was a very it worked very well for me and, and my my family. So,
0: well, the, I mean, the book that in particular that I'm talking about is um, I forget the name of the author, but it's a it's called A Woman Is No Man. So you can you can tell what it's about just from the title. And her family was from Palestine, and they had moved to Brooklyn, and and they expected the kids to to only marry somebody from Palestine to be part of an arranged marriage that you know, women didn't go to college, that their role was to stay at home and, you know, raise the babies. And, and like you described it, it really was a clash because when the little little girls would grow up in America, they would learn, well, I don't have to do any of that, you know? Um, But they would still get the pressure from, from the family. So sounds like you didn't have any of that.
1: But it's good that you bring that up. And it's really important that you bring that up because my sisters, if you were to talk to them, perhaps they would have a very different perspective. My sisters, so my, my, I'm Palestinian, a conservative place. I'm from the most conservative village in the most conservative district in the country. So the upbringing that I and my, my, bro, my brothers and I received is not necessarily the same as that my sisters received. I mean, yeah, they, they had friends and they did well, they did fine in school, etc. cetera, but they, there was a quote-unquote much shorter leash on them than on my, my brothers and I.
0: Well, um, that might have more to do with gender because absolutely. I think probably most families, not just immigrant families, but I think probably most families, for different reasons, there's shorter leash. I hate to use that expression, but I get but, it. Yeah, more, a little more permissive with the boys.
1: Yeah, and is that right? I mean, it's uh, you know, I have sons, I have a daughter. It's I, it's it's something that I, I personally grapple with. I mean, looking back, um, and it's they. I mean, they're not um, they're not they're, my sisters are not the people to hold their tongue, so they've called out the double standard, and it has absolutely called a cla- caused the clash. But I was you know on the periphery, kind of eating popcorn while this was
0: happening just so. observing well, well how do you think you'll be when your kids get to an age where they're starting to date do you let's just say your son's <laughs> going out on a date bye son have a great time your daughter it's going to be like uh well we're going to be in the car behind you you have to be home by nine i mean
1: it's I mean, we weren't permitted none of us were permitted to date but um it's just a matter of like for example just being out later at night it's um, it's wearing clothes that are a little bit more revealing. These are issues that have historic. I mean, not just in, in Arab or in Muslim cultures, in Muslim families, in Muslim groups, but in, in it's a it transcends that. These are issues that even more fundamentally. I I don't know how. Um, I I know from a safety standpoint, uh, I'm going to be extra careful with my daughter compared to my son, my son's. Um, but I I don't want to make it seem like she's a second class person and I don't want to treat her differently on account of solely because she's a, she's a girl. I mean, there has to, there has to be like, there has to be something else to it more over and above that. I mean, if, um, and these are all things that I think I'll, it'll coalesce more as they get older. My daughter's seven. So please don't rush me.
0: Yeah. You should enjoy that. You don't need to worry about when she's 20, maybe a little younger. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's go back to what it's like to go to mosque.
1: Right. So, um, there are some mosques and it's not supposed to be like this, but some mosques have uh, developed into very race, uh, centered mosques. Like in some communities, there are very African American mosques. In some communities, there are very South Asian mosques. I grew up as in a very going to the only mosque that I knew of in the area, which was in Patterson at the Islamic center, Islamic, uh, center of Passaic County, and it was almost all Arabs, almost all Palestinians. Um, so today, mosques are much more diverse. When you go to a mosque, there's a separate, usually a separate entrance for the men and for the women. And that's a historical reason. So a lot of times in most mosques, the men are in the front and the women are in the back. There are some mosques, like the mosque in Holmdel, for example, where it's a much more wide mosque as opposed to a a more long mosque to where the the women are on the side and the men are on the other side. So that's how they're kind of divided. In other mosques, there's like a different floor for women than for men. But bottom line is there is in almost all mosques, a separation between men and women.
0: So why is that? I mean, I can let my imagination run wild that you know, women are being treated like second-class citizens, but I, I don't know that.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because a lot of times, the, uh, most mosques, and even historically in Islam, the women have been in the back. They haven't been, like, in one side separated from men on the other side. Initially, the ration – so if, if you think of Arabia in the 600s, it was a very lawless place. I mean, you, you – if you're out on a camel in the desert and you meet someone else – you're going, you may get into a fight. And if you're a woman and you're out and you interact with a man, there's no firearms back then. You are probably at a physical disadvantage. So women were much more likely to get assaulted. And that didn't just mean, that didn't just apply in the middle of the sea, the middle of the, the sand sea, the desert. It also applied in the regular world that we lived in. Um, that was part of it, I think. Another part of it was before Islam came, women were uh, girls were treated as as liabilities. I mean, there, were the, there was a culture of burying daughters alive when they were born that Islam outlawed. So that kind of second-class perception of women in Arab society back then probably still survived into Islam. There's also a sexual part of it, I think, like a perverse part of it. So when you pray, part of when you pray, you actually have to you're standing up when you start praying and you have to bend at the waist and the person the people in front of you their rear ends are basically right next to your head and a woman's rear head to a man they were uh, i think a lot, part of the concern was that inappropriate thoughts or inappropriate actions were going to happen as a result of men and women uh, women being in front of men so i think that's how a lot that kind of that com- combination of circumstances Resulted in men being separated from women, and I thought it was second class at first. Um, but the, the mosque in Holmdel, um showed me that the women don't have to be in the back. It wasn't like men were in extremely long lines horizontally, and the women were in long lines. They put the men on the side and the women on the other side, and then there was a separation there. And th- that—that's not the separating men and women is not only a um, an Islamic issue. I mean, there are other religions. A lot of uh, Jewish Jewish people, uh, Jewish beliefs have the same kind of principles in mind as well.
0: So I was going to ask you if you thought it was outdated, but I guess some of those reasons haven't really gone away. Has there ever been any buzz about eliminating that practice?
1: There has been. Not only that, but a lot of times, like our religious clergymen, they're called imams, our priests. Imams historically have always been men. Well, within the last couple of uh, decades or two, I've seen – in certain uh, quote-unquote reform groups of Islam where women have been clergy people. So these this is not necessarily universal. And That's the thing about Islam, is that it's not necessarily a rule. There are just customs in place that people have ascribed to, and they know that way is right, but just because that way is right, it doesn't mean the other way is not right, and they've kind of pushed the envelope. And I've told my mother the same thing. I mean, she's a very conservative woman, and I've I, my opinion, and again, this is my minority opinion, but the headscarf, it, there is nothing explicitly indicating that the headscarf is required for women, that they have to wear it. My mother, her personal belief, and most Muslims' personal belief, historically and today, is that it is required, but not in the text. In the text it doesn't exclusively, it doesn't clearly say that. And you, from a legal background, you you'd probably appreciate that if you, if you analyzed it from a statutory
0: framework. Yeah, <laughs> yes. So then what's the significance of that? Why do women wear it?
1: The, the significance of it, I, I believe, is I think there's a historical tie to it. Um, so if you look at caricatures of, of the Virgin Mary, she's always wearing something on her head. You can't see her hair. If you look at nuns, nuns are also covered. Jewish women, they, can't show, they, have, they don't have their own hair when they're married, a lot of Jewish women. And I think a lot of that is, is a show of, of religiosity in, in that respect. And I think it all comes down to, to modesty. And that is required. That's a very vague word, but that is required in Islam of men and women. And I think it just developed that covering your hair is a requirement of, of modesty.
0: Well, I want to get into that more, but I don't want to lose track of um, the, the initial conversation, which was what what your practices are when you go to mosque. Right. But I am curious, well, where do the kids go? Like when you go to mosque with your wife, do the kids go with her or do you get the boys and, and she gets the, the daughter?
1: So I, my daughter likes to follow me, uh, which I love. But in the mosque, you know, she's getting to the age where she has to kind of learn the ways of how how the ladies do things. Um, so I want her to to be comfortable with that. I want her to to just get comfortable with the boy the boy side, as well as I don't want to make the other men uh, uncomfortable because she's old. I mean, she doesn't look like a baby anymore. She's yeah. not a teenager, but she's clearly grown up she should she should be there in the with the women my son's uh, my one son is a baby he's four months old, so he's staying with his mother. Um, but when he gets older, he'll be joining me with my uh with my son with my oldest son uh with the rest of the men we'll line up he won't they won't be the only boys there sometimes the boys sit tight on the ground while the sermon is going on and or sometimes boys are kind of running around or fidgeting in a group together off to the side it's they're not that different i mean muslim boys what they do are not different than what non muslim boys do they get in trouble they're wild they're out of control all of that applies.
0: Well, when I go to church, there's always kids, you know, crying and carrying on. You, you hear them, you know, around and, you know, usually the mom will get, be mortified and, and leave <laughs> because the kids won't stop crying. So we have that in common. Right. So so what happens next? You go in separate doors. I seen, I know I've seen somewhere in, in our culture that you take your shoes off.
1: Yeah, so when you usually in the place that you pray, and the whole mosque is fair game for prayer, you you take off your shoes and um, you enter the mosque. If you are not in a state to pray, um, then you have to go. There's bathrooms where you can do ablution. There's like a a washing ritual. It's not a shower. It takes like, I kid you not, 60 to 90 seconds to complete. And after that, you are um, in a state to pray. You then go upstairs, and you can pray before the main prayer and sermon, or you can um, you can not pray. It's not an obligatory prayer, and you can just wait for the sermon and wait for the actual prayer as a, as a group, as the congregation.
0: So why the ablution? I mean, how do you know if you need to do that or not?
1: So you have to do it after you, um, after you relieve yourself in the bathroom, after you fall asleep. Um, after even if you pass wind and if you have um, relations with your spouse or if you it's a sin to have it without your spouse, but um, if you've relaxed
0: that (laughs) I think all of the other religions have too, Raj.
1: (laughs) But even if you're not married, I'm saying, like even yeah, that's uh, right. So once So but that's only when you
0: go to mosque.
1: It's also a prerequisite to
0: praying. Okay. Okay. So it's not like every time, you know, you have relations, you're like, okay, well I got to go to the bathroom now. Okay. Okay. Right. All right. So then what happens?
1: Then you go in and there's the, the mosque is usually a big open room, depending on the mosque, but most mosques are big open rooms. And you, if you have to pray, you pray and you pick a place and you pray. If you don't have to pray, you can sit down and just, Hang out, just hang out quietly for respect for the building and the other, the other people who may be praying. If, uh, and then when the sermon starts, there's a sermon, like the Friday is our, is our holy day, there's a sermon that takes place. And when it's time to pray as a group, which is five times a day, there's a call to prayer. We, then after that, we line up to pray. We, pray. we pray in a line. And After that, you can leave. There's, uh, that's what the mosque is for.
0: How long is the whole thing?
1: So a sermon can be very, very long. I mean, when I was a kid, they used to be um, very unnecessarily long. Maybe I was just an impatient child, but uh, today sermons are usually no more than a half an hour, just out of respect for it's Friday, the middle of Friday afternoon. Um, And the prayer can take two minutes. It just depends on the, the imam, depends on his sermon and how long he wants to prolong the prayer.
0: Is it always the same prayer? Is it like, it's a standard prayer or is it something you're just making making
1: up? It's a ritual. So the ritual is the same, uh, but the words that you say in large part are the same. It's just what's in between can vary. So when you start a prayer, and by the way, this is the majority view of how to pray, but um, not all Muslims subscribe to this. They have their own wrinkles as to how they pray. But when you pray, when you start praying, you say the opening chapter of the Quran, and then you're supposed to, for most um, repetitions, I'll say, for most uh, sets, <laughs> sort of using a workout term, uh, <laughs> you have to say you have to say another chapter in the Quran. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a 280 verse chapter, which I don't mem- I don't have memorized. It can be a very short chapter. And then after that, you there's the you that you do some other actions, and then you complete essentially a repetition. Most prayers, most obligatory prayers are, you have four repetitions. Um, some, one prayer during the, the, the day has three, another one has two, but the other three prayers have four. Yeah. So that's, that's what, that's what happens. It's very structured and standardized in that respect.
0: And then that's it. And then everyone leaves and goes to the diner.
1: Everyone leaves and goes to wherever they have to go. I mean, the holiday is coming up. I mean, the, you, I mean you know, on a Friday, like if it was today, if this was a non-COVID life, people would go back to work. They would they stop at the, the mosque, they pray, and they go back to work. Other t- if it was a on the holiday, if this was a non-COVID situation, the holiday is anticipated to be Sunday. You go to the mosque early in the morning. You have a special holiday prayer, and then the everyone has their every group has their own way of doing things. But the Arab culture, the Palestinian Arab culture, at least. Is the men have to go to visit women relatives around wherever in the local area? So I have to go visit uh, my father's cousins, things like my aunts. Things like is that, that only is local?
0: Is that only for the holiday, or that's every holy day?
1: That's only for the two holidays.
0: Okay. Okay, and I've heard you're supposed to provide gifts.
1: Yeah, we have to get. It's usually money where we're from. So, so thankfully, it's it's, a, it's easy not to shop for. It's more expensive probably, but. Um, we do have to give like monetary gifts to our, uh, lady relatives. That's a cultural issue. That's not an Islamic required, uh, tenant or anything like that.
0: Makes sense. Money is good. Is, is there sort, is there any kind of rule of thumb? Like how much are you considered cheap? If you only give 20 bucks, it depends
1: on, I mean, it depends on your means. I mean, some, that's why I think that's why it's not set in stone or but, Um, I I tend to give my mother the most money out of everyone and then kind of my sisters after that and then the rest of the the group thereafter. All
0: right. We won't disclose disclose how much I don't want the family fighting. (laughs) We'll keep that a secret. Thank you. So it doesn't sound like, you know, it's, you know, there's, it sounds like pretty easy, right? Like you're not there for hours and, you know, kneeling on rice.
1: Not at all. It's very. It's a very. It's a very welcoming. It's a very easy religion to practice, and it's a very easy religion to believe. To believe in. And I think, um, you know, I was born Muslim, thankfully, but uh, for people who converted, I think it's very easy to do, and it's not something where um, they have to. Um, they have, don't have to memorize anything. They don't have to memorize. All you have to do is believe. And once, if you believe, and you just do, bear witness that you believed in front of others, so that way they can attest that you said what you have to say in front of them. That's it. You are considered um, a Muslim. And I think that that's that's what makes it really, really easy.
0: So you're supposed to pray five times a day? You are. Are you supposed to go to mosque five times a day?
1: You don't have to go to mosque usually at all. The The Islamic, and I'm not sure if this is a requirement, but men are supposed to go to the mosque. Once a week, they for the Friday prayer. There's a Friday. So there's a, a time of the day where we have to pray. It's like at high noon. At high noon, on a Friday, we have to go to the mosque. The men are supposed to pray together with the other congregants. And then that's that. Women, uh, the, the rule that I've, I don't know if it's an actual rule again, but they don't necessarily have to go. But you never have to go to the mosque, even on the holiday. The holiday prayer on the holiday morning is not obligatory. So you never, you never. If you're a woman, you may not ever have to go to a mosque.
0: So when do you pray? What are, are there? What are the five times a day?
1: So the five times are you're supposed to pray daybreak, right before before dawn. There's a window of time. The next time is high noon, right before, right until at any time until uh, the uh, sun is almost three quarters of the way down, essentially. Then. That's another prayer when the sun is three quarters of the way down until uh, dusk, and then dusk all the way to complete sundown, and then after sundown is another time. So that adds up to five times.
0: So when you do this at home, do you have a, a special place in your house where you do it?
1: I do not. So um, I have. I can. I've prayed most of the time is in my living room, but sometimes people are watching TV. So we have a rug where I can just take it and and pray anywhere. I mean, I've prayed in my basement. I've prayed outside. Um, it's, it's a place it's, it's not a, there's not too many requirements. And if you ever go to a, an Islamic country, um, you may see people praying like on the side of the road, they may actually stop when it's time to pray and pray on the middle in the, like on the side of the highway. So it's, you can pray anywhere. Anywhere is, is fair game to pray.
0: So when you're actually doing the prayer, you said that you have to bend over. You do. So can you describe that to me? I mean, I think I've seen, you know, I've seen it on television, but for people that are listening and really for myself too, can you describe what that practice is?
1: Sure. I'll I'll do, I'll explain a repetition and I I won't stand up. So that way people don't see that I'm not wearing, uh, I'm wearing shorts. (laughs) I was going to
0: say, don't say you're not (laughs) wearing shorts.
1: (laughs) You start a prayer, all prayers start. And this is for people who are able-bodied. I mean, there are some uh, wrinkles for, People are a little bit more physically impaired, but uh, you, you start by standing. And most people have their hands, right hand over their left, somewhere on their abdomen. Um, it can't be over your genitals. Some people have it up here. Some people have it over here. Some people have it like this. It doesn't matter. Some people have their arms to their sides. But that's where most of the prayer takes place when you're standing up. Then there's a, certain, a point in time of the prayer where you have to bend over. You literally bend over at the waist. And you kind of put your hands on your knees. Your ha- your eyes are still facing down, kind of the same place where you'd be looking the whole prayer. And you say a few things, uh, just uh, talking about God and His and His uh, His magnificence, uh, that magnificence. Then from there, there's another signal that causes you to stand up. And then after that, there's another signal where you completely fully prostrate. So you get down on your hands on your knees, head to the ground, face to the ground and you're praying there's another signal you get up onto your knees and there's another signal hands face down fully prostrated and then there's another signal and that's when you stand up again and that's one rep that's it's uh it's really self-explanatory and you could actually google it to see YouTube. how the islamic prayer yes youtube or they're all over it's all over the internet. Or just go to your local mosque. They'll be happy to show you. They'll be happy to show you and teach you. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you that. So, you know, if I walk into a mosque alone, I probably would never do that. I wouldn't go alone. But, you know, they just see this white girl walk in. Are they going to be like, looking at me like, who the heck is that? What is she doing here? Does she get lost?
1: I don't know if they'll say that. uh, What are you doing here? Um, They may say, it depends on how you're dressed. (laughs) Uh, But, there are a lot of Muslims who look like you, Christine. I mean, there are a lot of Muslims from the Balkans who are uh, European. They're in England, in uh, the in, in Britain. There are tons of Muslims who look like you. Um, you know, my mother is a fair-skinned woman, and um, there. If you look at look at Syria, look at Lebanon, there are ton, You are you look very not Muslim, but you also look very Muslim. So they're not going to say, "Oh, what is she doing here?" Um, you'll if you walk in and just say, "Hi, I'm not Muslim, but I," you know. I, like some, I don't want to be disrespectful. I just want to have some kind of guidance on what to do. Hopefully someone can point you in the right direction and kind of give you a rundown as to you know what, what they're about, what we're about and you know, be very welcoming. I mean, non-Muslims have been to mosques. Usually it's not just to, to kind of figure things out. Sometimes it's like for a funeral. Um, so sometimes a, a non-Muslim wants to go pay their respects and they have to go to the mosque.
0: So what if you don't speak Arabic?
1: Most Muslims don't speak Arabic. So uh, the largest population of Muslims in the world, the largest country is Indonesia. They're not native Arabic speakers. After that is Pakistan, not Arabic speakers. India, not Par- Arabic speakers. Large populations in, in, uh, in Africa, like Nigeria, not Arabic speakers. So most Muslims on this planet are not native Arabic speakers. It's completely fine.
0: So where you go, though, are they praying in Arabic?
1: yeah where i go my the mosque i primarily go to is uh, is not too far from me it's this, i'm from union county i still live i'm not in linden anymore but um i the mosque i go to is the islamic center of union county and the uh the imam is an egyptian and he speaks arabic fluently uh it's a very diverse mosque i mean there are non there are non uh arabic speakers and there are arabic speakers and at that mosque if you need a translator for what the imam is saying they actually give you headsets, so there's someone simultaneous with the imam giving his sermon. There's someone translating his sermon into English, so it it works out for all congregants. They're very welcoming.
0: Well, when everyone's praying, when the congregants are pay- praying, are they praying out loud?
1: When the congregants, so when it's prayer time, the the person who most uh, prayers. I'll, I'll start over. Actually, three out of the five prayers. Are out loud, and the imam reads the is the leader of the prayer in in terms of action and in terms of word. The two middle prayers, so the second and third prayer of the day, is a silent prayer. So even though the imam is signaling when to prostrate, when to bow, your prayer verbiage wise is internal. It's not out loud. So um,
0: okay, so so I would just have to learn it in English.
1: You could learn it in English, and you could just do your best. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about intention. A lot of Islam is about your intention.
0: Okay, that's interesting. I feel like I should go one day.
1: Right, like be careful, be careful, Christina. I mean, you you know, make sure you get your last (laughs) bite of bacon because (laughs) there's a lot of. It's a very welcoming group. Every a lot of people. I mean, if you have any, if you've ever have you ever read the autobiography of Malcolm X?
0: No, I haven't.
1: It's a very interesting read. But part of it, one of the most fascinating parts is how um, militant, how very aggressive he is before he decides to take the pilgrimage to Mecca. And when he, before he takes the pilgrimage, he's very black nationalist. He's very black protectionist. Uh, but when he takes the, the, the pilgrimage, he sees a diverse array of Muslims and he's treated and welcomed in a certain way that changes his perspective not only of Islam, but of, of civil rights and of humanity in a really profound and meaningful way that perhaps partially at least led to his demise. But um, So be careful if you, if you, what you wish for. You know? And I'm happy to thank okay. uh, you. Know, Duly noted.
0: <laughs> I, I will put that book on my reading list. <laughs> okay, so um, my mind is going off in all these different directions. Um, what is the significance of the pilgrimage to Mecca? And are you going to do it? Or have you done it?
1: <laughs> I have not done it. It's very it's very important. So the, the actual in the it's called the Kaaba. The Kaaba is like this black cubicle structure, and inside the black cubicle structure is a stone that has an unknown kind of origin, but that stone we believe is the place where is the stone toward which Abraham um, prayed towards during his time on this planet. So it's always been, from our perspective, the place, well, the direction towards which we have to pray, um, going back even before Islam. Um, And it's always been a holy site, uh, necessarily.
0: So do you have an, an intention to do that at some point in your life?
1: I do, I do. I have an intention to do it, hopefully. Um, sooner rather than later. I would like to do it with my, my father has not yet done it yet, but I would like to do it um, with him um, whenever we're both ready and hopefully sooner rather than later. He's not an old man. He's not young, but he's not old.
0: So what does this pilgrimage entail? I mean, can you hop in your Jeep Wrangler and drive there? (laughs) Do you have to put a backpack on?
1: (laughs) My understanding of the pilgrimage is um, that you have to go to the, to, to Mecca. You have to run. Uh, there's a you have to go back and forth between these two mountains, and that's where uh, Hagar, which was uh the mother, if, if you recall, you remember Abraham had a wife named yes. Sarah and a concubine named Hagar. Yes. So Hajar is her Arabic name. She ran back and forth between those two mountains, asking God, looking to see if Abraham was around, and asking God for. Um, for water, because she and her son were very, very thirsty in the middle of the desert, and that's where the spring kind of burst from. The spring called still to this day; it's there. It's called Zamzam. Uh, so, the we have to do that's part of the the ritual. We have to circumnavigate in counterclockwise um, a couple of times the Kaaba. We have to pray in a certain way. We have to say certain words. There's actually three pillars somewhere in the Mecca region. That represent um, idolatry. We have to throw a certain amount of pebbles at them. There's a whole ritual to it. I'm not um, fluent in the ritual, especially because part of the ritual is um, not obligatory. It's 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 extra. It's helpful. It's you get extra credit for it, so to speak. My friends call it extra heaven points. But um, <laughs> yeah, but part of it is obligatory.
0: No, is I can't imagine that's a big tourist spot too.
1: It is um, the biggest gathering of people on an annual basis at a particular place. I mean, there's a, another religious place in India. I think it's once every like 10 years. Don't, please don't. I hope I'm not misstating it, where more people gather, but much, more, much less frequently. But on an annual basis, I mean, you get Muslims from all over who gather to do the pilgrimage. It's a beautiful
0: site. And where do you start? Can you take a flight there? <laughs> there are there yeah, rules I mean, about, you know, how you get there?
1: You just have to get there. I mean, there are, when just my... Yeah, my grandfather did it, and he, um, I believe he, um, he didn't fly. I believe he took like a group bus from Palestine to um, to the Mecca region. But um, you can fly; people fly. I mean, it's, um, that's the only way we're going to get there. I can't drive yeah, a jeep Yeah, we're well, not going to swim. Yeah, no, no. <laughs>
0: right. Okay, so now I want to ask you about your wife because I know she converted. She did was she catholic before
1: she was a non she was a a, a catholic in name only
0: so it's, i don't want to pry into your wife's personal life so you know you can tell me to buzz off if you want to stay okay. off that topic because i realize you're speaking oh, for her
1: it's okay that's my job i kid i kid for whoever's watching i'm joking <laughs>
0: <but>. <laughs> so was did she have to convert to marry you she did not Okay. She didn't. So you could have and would have married her if she didn't convert. I, um,
1: uh, my one requirement, well, my requirements for my spouse was that she be a woman and that she she be Muslim. That's all. Okay. That's
0: it. Okay. But that was your own personal requirement.
1: Right. There are plenty of Muslims, including the prophet. I mean, the prophet married non-Muslims. Um, so Muslims, Muslim men at least can marry non-Muslim women.
0: Okay, okay, that's interesting because I know in the Jewish religion, uh, it's important a lot to marry another Jew. So, yeah, I don't know if it's a requirement, but you know,
1: yeah, no, no, it's um, I mean the Jewish religion um, and what happened historically to Jews. I mean, I think just for self-preservation um that probably is important for them um yeah we don't have that i mean there's not i think in the world what is there probably less than 100 million jews i mean there's 1.8 billion muslims out there
0: well i can i can reconcile a little bit easier in my brain someone who converts from being christian to islam but it's a little harder for me sometimes when you're christian and you become jewish (laughs) It's like, but how do you just stop believing in Jesus? <laughs> um, but you know, whatever, whatever you're into. Right. So, okay, then that answered. That was a short conversation. I was just curious how that came to be.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's just my personal. Pr- I mean it's it's not easy to. Like, we are as Palestinians. We we have similar cultural issues that um, even pre um, pre the Zionist state coming in and and kind of taking us away and systematically whether it's by death or otherwise exterminating us even before that I mean my dad when he married my my dad and mom are from the same place but they can't um they can't my, my dad he's from a different village and it was very difficult for him to try to um marry it was a little bit he had some hurdles marrying my mother who's also Palestinian from a different village. So me, I had to marry a a woman. I married a woman from a different village, a different country, and whose family is not Muslim. So it was, it was, uh, there were some roadblocks there too, but I, we overcame it thankfully.
0: How was her family, if you can comment on it, how was her family with her converting?
1: Um, her mother was very, um, her mother still is a very religious woman, and she. when my wife converted, I mean, she wasn't um, – what's the word? It's not like she was very – nothing meaningfully changed for my wife. It's not like she wore the scarf. She still doesn't wear it. It's not like she ate pork very much either. There's She didn't drink. There isn't – not much changed from a day-to-day standpoint, but when it came to the holidays, um, you know, going, uh, do, doing certain things, in a way that they have been used to doing it, things change in that respect. And then marrying me, um, there was a a misperception about how Muslims are. And uh, to her credit, my my, my wife's mother really warmed up to us. She really realized that um, perhaps what her initial inclinations were about us, what she saw on TV is not reality. So uh, well, let that be a
0: lesson to a lot of other people.
1: I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much. I value that. Mm -hmm.
0: So what is the significance of the headscarf? And I want to get the terminology down because I've heard so many different words used and seen different. um, I don't know. I don't even know what to call it. Clothing. I don't know what to call it. I remember one time when I was a law clerk, my judge had a trial in juvenile court and the prosecutor really didn't do his homework it was a hate crime Uh, there was a girl who was muslim and and she was targeted because she was wearing a headscarf and he didn't know what to call it and he kept calling it gear
1: just Uh, gear
0: like her gear what whatever she was wearing so i don't want to be one of those people that just makes up words
1: you mean you mean gear in the english like g-e-a-r gear yes gear I was thinking initially like it was like G-I-R. Maybe it was like a Persian word I'm not familiar with. I'm Apparently no. not. No. he okay.
0: just didn't know what to call it. And okay, I'm kind of dating myself, but this was probably 2003,
1: 2004. So, the, I mean, a lot of people, the most common term for it is the hijab. Um, and that's pretty a universal term for any kind of covering, whether it's fully covering your hair or whether it, it's like complete ninja costume where you see nothing. Um, like it's a
0: burqa. I've heard burqa.
1: Yeah, burqa is like very uh, much more covering. I mean, they're, they're, I've seen coverings where you can't even see the woman's eyes. Like they're, it's it's uh, there's like some, some kind of mesh. I don't know how she can see, but...
0: Yeah, um, I've seen that. And so is that a burqa? Is that a burqa, a very specific kind of clothing? I,
1: th- I think it's a covering of the face. I think that's, that's okay. the burqa.
0: Okay. So is uh, what's the the guidance on who's wearing what is it just personal choice
1: it really a lot in large part is personal choice and uh cultural and and familial pressure um some girls some women and i say girls on purpose i'm not um, trying to make you make them any uh diminutize them in any way shape or form but they are told by their parents you are wearing the covering and that's what they've worn you know, since grade school. Um, but sometimes it's a very personal choice, like with my mother. So um, it's a very, it, it depends circumstance by circumstance. But yeah.
0: Are there certain countries or villages where if you would go, if, whether, you're is, whether you're Muslim or not, you would be expected to wear it and it would be considered disrespectful if you didn't? It
1: may even be criminal. So you know how we here, I mean, if, you were to, if I was to go run around with my pants off, I would get in trouble. Yes, it, it's very similar there. I mean, it's a different societal, it's a different cultural, and a religious standard. So, what's nude or indecent there is very different than what's indecent um, here. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, see these these rules that that exist in a lot of uh, Islamic uh, like groups or Islamic regions, Islamic communities, they are not. Um, only Islamic I mean hopefully people whoever's listening and I hope you do this too google what an orthodox ultra orthodox Jewish woman looks like you're going to see she looks very Muslim very Muslim she's dressed just like a Muslim if you didn't know any better she's the only difference between her and a Muslim is that she's next to a, an optically Jewish man that's it So
0: it's, I'm going to google that
1: ultra orthodox Jewish woman
0: Okay, yeah, I'm going to do that. There's actually a show on Netflix called Unorthodox. Did you see it?
1: I did. It was a great, 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 great show.
0: It was good. A friend of mine actually watched it twice. I Do you happen to know, though, why she shaved her head? Why was her head shaved?
1: So she got married, and I think the hair covering that that her group, her subset of Judaism, uh, Instead of covering the hair like we do, like Muslims do, to kind of blend in while maintaining modesty and fitting in, I think their style historically has just been to wear wigs. Um, And this all just goes back to modesty.
0: Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Now, what is the significance of your beard?
1: So, there are, so a lot of people like to emulate the Prophet. And most depictions, there's no drawing of the Prophet from from his time. So there's only verbal descriptions of him. And a lot of them said that he had a kempt beard. So, um, a lot of people, a lot of Muslims like to be like the prophet as much as possible. Um, they, they try to do everything like, I mean, I mean, they, they're even, he's right-handed and they try to do things right-handed, even though he was left-handed. Like that's how, um, consequential and monumental his impact has been. I'm not wearing it for that reason. I I have no. aspirations to or belief or confidence that I could ever be like the prophet. But from an optical standpoint around in our profession, uh, people need to see and and digest the fact that there are Arab and Muslim attorneys in, in the bar, active in the bar, active in court. And I have the financial freedom, thankfully, to be able to do that. No one's going to fire me. And I, uh, as long as I don't appear in front of a jury, I will, I will keep this so that way people can, even if they don't have a conversation with me, even if they just see me, I want them to get comfortable, not just for my sake, but for future Muslim lawyers' sake, with seeing people like us. And I, I it's like a, a Muslim woman attorney wearing the hijab in court. She's she may be doing it for her own reason, but there's something subliminal about uh, her being present and being active. And uh, and wearing what she's wearing, showing that she's Muslim.
0: What does your wife think of the beard?
1: She hates it. <laughs> she, she thinks it's uh, it's too long and she recognizes that it's, it's kempt, but she uh, does not like it. She does not approve.
0: Are you going to keep that forever?
1: Next May. So as soon as I am off of, so right now I'm a trustee of the New Jersey State Bar Association. My time expires May, 2021. Once that happens, I have no, uh, I've made my point to the, to, the, to the powers that be.
0: So you've got another year.
1: Another year. Let's see how long it gets.
0: <laughs> okay, so right now it's, it's still Ramadan. Yes. And what are we observing when we observe Ramadan?
1: Ramadan is a month. It's literally the name of a month. Just like May is a month in, in our calendar. In the Islamic calendar, Ramadan is the name of a month. And it was t- no one knows exactly why we were instructed to fast from sunup till sundown during Ramadan. But there are lots of theories behind it. Um, I can tell you the effects on me. I mean, it teaches you self-discipline. It definitely purges out any kind of nonsense from your digestive system. It it enables you to cleanse out um, any kind of um, toxins or any kind of anything that you may be addicted to, like caffeine like um, tobacco. I mean, I, I haven't smoked too many cigars during Ramadan, and you can't smoke during uh, while you're fasting either. Um, you you get you gain an appreciation for um, for other things aside from food. And uh, some people believe, I, I don't believe this, but some people believe that it gives you an appreciation for being hungry. I don't really feel hungry right now. I certainly feel thirsty. But um, even the poor, the people who are always hungry, if you're Muslim, you still have to fast during Ramadan. So it's not like they're exempt because they may be going hungry during the other 11 months during the year. Um, but it, it's, a, it's another way of showing appreciation and, uh, and gratitude for, for what you have and perhaps becoming closer to God. It's a way of becoming more disciplined in, in, in religious thought and good thoughts and in your prayers as well.
0: So what, are the, what is the practice? I know you fast and that means from sunup to sundown.
1: Yeah. So the yeah from sun up. Let's be specific, right? You want to be specific. Yeah. The first prayer. When the first prayer is time for the first prayer, whenever that happens is when you have to start fasting. So you have to wake up before that to eat, to drink, do whatever you got to do, because once it's the time to pray, once the call to prayer happens, you can't eat, you can't drink anymore. That's it. And you're already up at that point, so you pray your first prayer. A lot of times it's hard to get up. You're not incentivized to get up. You don't want to get up at 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the morning, but unless you want to be hungry all day, you're getting up at 3.30 in the morning. And then you're up at that point. You're like, okay, well, I'm up. I'm going to pray. So you get your first prayer in. And then after that, you don't have to think about making food. You don't have to think about eating for lunch. And you think about that it's an important month, and it actually encourages you, especially because everyone else is doing it around you, and that's why the community is important it encourages you to pray the other four prayers. And now the fourth of those, the, four pr- the fourth prayer of the day, not the fifth one, is when we can eat. So normally what people do is, you, you haven't eaten all day, 16, 15 and a half hours not eating. You break your fast. you And then from there, a lot of t- people are incentivized to not even eat at that point. They want to go pray. And then they go eat.
0: That makes sense.
1: Well, a lot you can eat and then pray right after, but, you typically it's, 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 it's ideal, it's more ideal to pray closer to the time when it's initially started. I mean that's what Muslims did. They would literally stop what they're doing, and when the call to prayer happens, they pray right then and there. even if you if you look at record uh, anything the television of Mecca, when the call to prayer happens, people are out and about, they're shopping, they're living their lives like a non-COVID situation, of course, but they're living their lives. when the call to prayer happens. Everyone, the whole city stops, and they pray. So that's that's what I, ideally happens. Otherwise, you you stuff your face, your your belly is full, and you really don't want to move at that point. You're you believe it or not, you're less incentivized to pray.
0: And um, I, I, so. I don't want to minimize it, but you could just be eating like a complete pig, you know, in the morning, and then again later. I mean I don't want to like say you're not missing out on much cuz I wouldn't want to go all day without eating or drinking anything but I don't know do do you feel like you are missing out on a lot during the day
1: I don't consider it starvation or hunger in any respect whatsoever I mean yeah you certainly your belly is, is empty yeah your mouth is dry but um it is you really don't miss out on much you you you, you get your nourishment you just have to be intelligent. I mean, you're not going to, when Ramadan is in the middle of the summer, you know, one time I did this, I went to a park in the middle of the summer and just played basketball 90 degrees outside. And I learned what dehydration was all about. So you just have to be intelligent uh, while you're fasting, but it is not starvation. It is not hunger. There's nothing cool about it. I mean, my daughter, she's seven years old and there was one day where she fasted. She didn't have to, we told her not to, but of course she doesn't listen to her parents and you know, she felt very accomplished about it, which wow. you know, more power to her.
0: Wow. She's got more discipline than most adults. <laughs> Did you ever cheat, like just a little tiny bit, ever, like once?
1: No, there's no point to cheat. I mean, if you if you can't or you just don't want to, then there's no point in feigning it. You're not you're not the thing about Islam is you're not doing it for um, perception's sake for like your parents or your family. You're doing it for the the all seer the all-seer is going to know whether or not you fasted. So cheating doesn't work. The referee is always watching.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so if anybody's <laughs> been cheating, and it's not a month, right? It's not like 30 days. It's
1: 30 days. It is 30, 30 days. days.
0: But it's always at a different on a different date every year, right?
1: Yeah, the lunar calendar, uh, which is what we go by, it's about 11 days shorter than the solar calendar. So every solar year, Ramadan gets 10 or 11 days earlier. So it used to be in the summer, which was rough. Uh, but when I was growing up, it was in the winter, which was easy. I would break my fast like at 5 o'clock-ish. No problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if you work nights, it almost doesn't matter because you're sleeping during the day.
1: Yep. It, Those are the people
0: but, that can luck out.
1: You still have to wake up to pray in reality, but yeah, the, you can pray and then sleep. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I get it. So you've never had pork.
1: I've never voluntarily willingly had pork. I've had pork by accident. Someone told me something was pork and it really was not pork and it really was, or I had something I thought it wasn't pork and it really was.
0: Were you thinking, "Mm, this is good. (laughs) What is that?
1: My first time I had it was at a, a friend of mine's, uh, her what's called a quinceañera, which is like a sweet 16, a sweet 15 uh, for a Puerto Rican young lady. And Puerto Ricans apparently love pork. So I asked her cousin, I was like, oh, what is this? This white meat over here. He's like, oh, I'm like, is it chicken? He's like, yeah. I put it on my plate. I take a bite of it and it does not taste like chicken. And he's laughing at me. (laughs) So that was the first time I I had pork. Um,
0: Did you like it?
1: It wasn't better than chicken. It wasn't awful. But it so wasn't you don't feel like
0: you're missing out on anything.
1: No. no one's like, there are like Muslim comedians out there and they, they make jokes about um, what, you know, how Muslims are not perfect. Like Muslims cheat on their wives, Muslims drink, Muslims gamble, all of which are sins. But when it comes to pork, Muslims are pretty universal in not eating pork.
0: <laughs> so Why can't you eat pork?
1: It has been, it is prescribed. It is, not allowed we are just not allowed to eat it no one people have theories as to as to why but no one knows exactly why jews are the same way i mean jews we have very similar practices in a lot of ways to jews
0: and you also aren't supposed to drink alcohol right
1: we're not supposed to drink alcohol
0: some specific reason for that too
1: so initially um no one knows exactly why again but when Islam started coming out, when it was in the process of being revealed, it wasn't like the Quran came down, like the prophet just got it all, and then someone, he said it out loud, and then someone wrote it down. It came out over the po- a course of, I think, like 22 years, and initially, as the revelations came in, the first revelation about drinking was that um, it's there are good things about it, and there are bad things, but the bad things outweigh the good, and later on, the revelation came out that said, you can't pray while you're under the influence and then later on the final revelation about alcohol came and said you're not allowed it is forbidden to, to consume it but no one there was no explanation as to why
0: so you've never had alcohol
1: i've never knowingly had alcohol i've never voluntarily had i don't know if i've ever someone has ever like spiked my drink or anything i don't think so but yeah i haven't drank ever
0: so I know when, in, with Catholics, you know, there's, we kind of joke that there's certain Catholics, you know, we just kind of pick and choose which rules we're going to follow. And, and is it like that in Islam too? I mean, do you have people that, you know, well, I'm going to drink, I'm, you know, just going to have a drink once in a while or not really? So,
1: not even just once in a while. There's some Muslims who will uh, drink on a daily basis. I mean, what am I, you know, just talking about the dichotomy about, about pork versus like something for example like alcohol friends of mine, a Muslim guy he's he, he's in his apartment in college and he's making jello shots and he drinks and another Muslim guy who also drinks comes in and sees, sees him making jello shots and the visitor comes and he says bro, you can't make jello shots this is against our religion and the guy who's making the shots is like what are you talking about? I, I, I see you drink. I've seen you drink all the time. We just had a drink last week. What are you talking about? And the guy, the visitor's like, no, gelatin. There's gelatin in the jello. We can't eat gelatin. There's pork in it. And it just shows the, the double standard.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> that is so funny. So? <laughs> well, they, they picked their vice, and that was it. They weren't going to do pork and alcohol. It's
1: funny. It is funny.
0: So what is, what is an appropriate thing to say to people at the beginning of Ramadan and then after?
1: Oh, well, at the beginning of Ramadan, or in, anywhere in Ramadan, it's, it's blessed Ramadan or uh, Ramadan Mubarak, which is like blessed Ramadan. And after Ramadan ends, the day after is a holiday. So it's called Eid. Both of our holidays are called Eid. But what you can say is happy Eid. Very easy. Or Mary Eidmas, I I like to joke with uh, Mary
0: Edmiss. Oh, happy <laughs> Eid! You can say that.
1: Yeah. Oh, or Eid okay. Mubarak. Yeah.
0: Oh, but you wouldn't say Happy Eid Mubarak.
1: No, no, no need. That's like.
0: It's redundant. Um,
1: yeah, it's it's uh, it's like you ever watch a uh, Wheel of Fortune? How it's like before and after.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like oh, that. Okay. <laughs> okay. I get it. Okay. All right. So then do you, you have a big feast when it's over, right? We,
1: we eat, um, we, we, we eat normally. It's not, um, it's like, a, we we gather together after the men do the family tour and, uh, we, pass
0: out the we, envelopes.
1: Yeah. We don't get envelopes. We just straight up just straight give cash, man. It's
0: <laughs> do, do the secret handshake. No, so we just like, you know, we shake their hands and in the, in the
1: hand is like a, it's like money. It's like, passing money, it's like paying someone off. That's how it looks, but it's really not like that.
0: Do you have like a Christmas or a, you know, Hanukkah is really not a big Jewish holiday, but I guess Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are. Is that like your big holiday?
1: Yeah, the second, so the first holiday, the first Eid after Ramadan is like, um, is just a celebration after Ramadan ends. It's like one, it's like, a, that's just a holiday for that reason. The real big holiday of our of our religion is called is is also called Eid. It's about 70 days after the first Eid, and it it memorial and commemorates the day uh, when Abraham was told to sacrifice his son at God's instruction, and he was going to do it, and his son was going to submit, um, and it just memorializes that um, extraordinary act of submission towards God's will and instruction
0: and what do you do then
1: what do we do we we are obligated if we can to um give if you can it's not something that you have to do but we give because of the the sacrifice we we give out we donate essentially a sheep we have a sheep butchered killed cooked and given out to the to the poor and I I make it a point to give it out to my uh my mother villages back home in the motherland. Um, so that's what we do.
0: Okay. So I was going to say, where the heck do you do that here?
1: Well here. in so like in places like Patterson, you can get a sheep. Um, it's a very common thing. I mean, sometimes when you want, you don't want to cook for a million people, just getting a, a sheep, a cooked stuffed sheep, you can order it. It costs like 400 bucks. It feeds lots of people and you pick it up. It's hot. It's cooked. And you just take off the aluminum foil and it's literally a curled up sheep cooked even with the head. The head is there just detached just in case you want to eat parts of it. So it absolutely exists in many places, including in urban New Jersey.
0: I'm sure I've passed by these places. I just didn't pay attention because it wasn't on my radar.
1: Yeah, they're not like in the window or anything. It's not like it's a bag. You know, they're not going to put like, hey, buy a sheep. They They don't need to do that, but. Exists. Well, I
0: mean, you know, there's so many immigrants in our country that there's like sections of town that are, you know, Chinatown and the Hungarian section. And, you know, right. if you really know where to look, you can find that stuff. So I, I will, I'm i going to start paying attention. More.
1: Patterson, Patterson.
0: So I'm, you know, I'm a big foodie. And I remember when you were a law clerk and I was a lawyer going to Hunterdon a lot Every once in a while, you would have food that your mom had cooked, and I was always all over that. So what you so you're not married to someone who's Palestinian? Does she cook? Have she learned to cook some of the stuff that you really like that you know your mom made when you were growing up? So
1: believe it or not, a lot of the food that my mother makes, I don't even eat anymore. I I uh, I don't eat too much bread. I don't eat any bread candidly. I don't eat potatoes, I don't eat rice. Um, so a lot of Palestinian dishes are very rice based, so she doesn't uh, she doesn't need to make it and my mother's young, I mean she's not an old lady at all, so she's thirty she's she's fifty five years old, so she she'll hopefully I'll have her for a long period of time, and I just try to skim off of the meat that um, that she makes with the rest of the carb centered
0: dishes. Wow. I I would eat all those carbs. But you're skinnier well, than me. That's probably why. <laughs> well, I feel like that I feel like I have a really good understanding now, which I you know, I could have just read it on Google, but I didn't want to because you can't ask the follow-up questions and really hear it from someone who lives the life, who's actually living it. Do you feel like there's anything that is really important that we didn't talk about? Like just to understand better the Islam religion.
1: As far as religion is concerned, just understand that we are we are not that different. I mean, they're, they're, we may seem very alien in the on the news, but I guarantee you, you have interacted with Muslims who I call closet Muslims, uh, and we are everywhere. We are your neighbors. We are your teachers. We are your students. We are your clients. We are your lawyers. We are your doctors. We're your Uh, We're your taxi drivers, or your bus drivers, or your janitors. We are everywhere, and um, the reason why you can't perhaps see us is because we are not that different than you. So I I hope um, I hope that's understood and appreciated, and uh, I hope that creates a good dialogue going forward.
0: Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me, and thanks for all the questions. I appreciate it as well. It's uh, it's really refreshing, and, and I hope there's more people like you who try to get a first person's perspective, um, as to the quote unquote other, as opposed to getting someone who's foreign to talk about those other people. So get it from, from the, the mouths themselves is, is always the best source.
0: I do too. I mean, I, I always say that we're, we're really much more alike than we are different. All of us, what, whatever you do, whatever you do for a living, where you're from, what language you speak, what your religious preferences are. Definitely think we're all more alike than we are different. Agreed. All right. Thank you, Raj.
1: Christina, it was fun. Thanks for having me. Have a great weekend.
0: Thank you for listening to Wake Up Call, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, christinaprevitt.com, and be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to, doing basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media. Look up Wake Up Call the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at podcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.